It has been a busy week. The Vatican concluded its summit on preventing the sexual abuse of minors. The United Methodist Church concluded, if we can use that word, their worldwide general convention addressing their teachings on LGBTQ issues. And I had a nice dialogue in Leicester Square with a street evangelist from the Jesus Fellowship Church. Let's start with the Vatican. Given that the Catholic Church runs far more like a commonwealth than an empire, which is to say that we are bound to the Pope more by self-imposed obedience than by any formal legal structures, few expected any concrete actions to come out of this summit. The Pope can suggest whatever he likes, but local bishops have to be convinced to implement it. Otherwise, the entire effort will be stymied. And suggest the Pope did. Likely the high point of the entire summit was Pope Francis's final address, where he pleaded with the entire world to partner with the Catholic Church in eradicating sexual abuse of minors wherever it may be found. In the church, certainly, but also in families, schools, and social organizations. It was a powerful speech, but one that many commentators said will ring hollow until the Vatican itself implements concrete steps to prevent future cover-ups by church officials. Second, the United Methodists met in St. Louis to try to resolve rising tensions regarding its teachings on homosexuality. With almost 7 million adherents in the United States and another 5 million abroad, the Methodists are the largest mainline Protestant denomination still to teach that homosexual practices are incompatible with Christian teaching. However, the liberal branches on the American coasts and in the upper Midwest have been performing same-sex weddings and ordaining practicing gay and lesbian clergy for many years now without punishment, while the American South and overseas branches have wanted to see church teaching enforced. At the conference in St. Louis, the delegates voted 53% to 47% to retain and strengthen the traditional teachings of the Methodist Church, which will, I am sad to say, likely result in a schism within that Christian denomination. As I watched the live coverage, what struck me most, though, was a final amendment that the pro-LGBTQ delegates offered before the final vote, when they knew that they were probably going to lose the vote. This group said that if the traditional delegates were going to claim that homosexual practices were incompatible with scripture and should impede ordination to the clergy, then the Methodist Church should also bar adulterous, polygamous, and divorced and remarried men and women from becoming clergy as well, since these are also condemned in the Bible. The idea was to force the traditional clergy a group of whom fell into the divorced and remarried category, to be consistent. Finally, I had my dialogue with the Jesus Fellowship Church Evangelist. First of all, I have to compliment him for caring enough about the gospel to travel 75 miles into downtown London to stand on a street 
and be rejected and scorned most of the day. I may question the effectiveness of his methods, but I cannot question his zeal. Anyway, he was a fallen-away Catholic, which is rather typical for men like this, using the same arguments that have been used against the Catholic Church since non-denominational Christianity became a thing. The argument that he went back to most, however, was that the Catholic Church cannot possess the truth because it seems to live so far apart from the desires of Jesus. We appear to be corrupt, wealthy, sinful, and focused on ritual and grandeur rather than gospel proclamation. If we are honestly seeking Jesus, he asked, shouldn't we seek out the church that looks most like him? This is a point that I granted my interlocutor. Yes, I said, the Catholic Church is all of those things and more that he cannot even imagine. Our members are deeply flawed and deeply sinful. But, I concluded, Jesus told us that he came to call sinners, not the righteous. So I'm not worried that I'm in the wrong place if I find myself a sinner surrounded by sinners. Nevertheless, and I don't know if I told him this, he did have a point. As do the Vatican reporters, as did the LGBTQ-affirming Methodists. There is something deeply embedded in our humanity that demands consistency. We can claim whatever we want about scripture or philosophy or history, but however valid our moral arguments may be intellectually, they become deflated if we don't follow them ourselves. This is exactly the point that Jesus is making in the gospel today with his discussion of beams and splinters. It is all well and good to want to lead others to live a moral life, to direct them to the will of God. But if we are not pursuing God's will ourselves, our pointing will be in vain. And the more ardent the pointing, the more important the example is. Given that the Catholic Church is entrusted with the loftiest heights of moral teaching, that is, the teachings of Jesus Christ himself, we therefore have the greatest responsibility to be above reproach. So given that the Catholic Church is, in fact, full of sinners, and much worse, that some of our most corrupt sinners have been promoted to our highest offices, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? The most tempting approach is to drift from the church. Not necessarily to leave it or make a big statement, but just to disengage, to begin to ignore the things that happen here. The hierarchy, which is entrusted with teaching, appears to be a bunch of hypocrites, unaware of the beams in their own eyes as they pontificate about a great many splinters. This is absolutely a fair point, and one that cannot be dismissed easily. Do as I say and not as I do does not work for bishops just the same way as it does not work for parents. Unfortunately, 
We do live in a sinful world. Every human being is sinful. And every institution that relies on human beings is going to be sinful. If we decide that the existence of sin in an organization means that it has nothing to say to us, that the existence of sin in the church means that she ought to be ignored, then we will be tossed like a ship on rough seas with nowhere to anchor. No church, no government, no school, no political party, no social organization is without sin. Purity tests work just as well in religion as they do in politics, which is to say that they don't work at all. Of course, it has to be said, covering up the sexual abuse of minors is a particularly egregious sin. So I don't want to put it on the same level as other organizational improprieties we might hear about in different churches or organizations. Our sin really does stand above the rest. And one could certainly argue that even if no organization is pure, we might at least distance ourselves from organizations that have done this. Again, a fair point. Still, I would like to offer a different approach. What if, rather than looking at the worst an organization has to offer, we looked at the best it has to offer? After all, Jesus says, No disciple is superior to the teacher, but when fully trained, every disciple will be like his teacher. That fully trained phrase seems important to me. I cannot believe that a man like Ted McCarrick is what a fully trained disciple of Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church looks like. But I can believe that someone like Mother Teresa accurately reflects her teacher. If we want to evaluate a teacher or an organization, we should look for the fully trained disciples. We would want to evaluate Lutheranism, with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or American foreign policy with Eleanor Roosevelt, or Western capitalism with Bill Gates. Any movement can produce sinners, but not every movement can create saints. My friends, even in this period of darkness, I have found no other institution able to make more saints or better saints than the Catholic Church. We can claim more of the greatest, most courageous, most loving, and most intelligent human beings ever to walk the earth than any other religion, nation, or ideology. The stories of the fully trained disciples of Christ who have lived out their faith in the Catholic Church continue to inspire us and speak to our aspirations in ways that transcend the centuries. Are there holy people outside the Catholic Church? Absolutely. Mahatma Gandhi, for example, showed us what a non-Christian saint might look like, though, of course, he himself was influenced by the teachings of Jesus. And other non-Catholic Christian churches have raised up great and holy martyrs for the faith. 
But the inescapable fact is that the closer you get to the Catholic Church, the more of these people there seem to be. And here is the craziest thing about the saints. They all fought zealously against sin in the church, but they never seemed to suggest that holiness should be found elsewhere. They wanted to clean up the Catholic Church precisely because they believed it was Jesus' own church, where the teachings and sacraments of Christ could be found. If we listen to the voices of the holiest men and women throughout the ages, the great reformers, the ones who condemned even popes and bishops, all these saints still believed that God was still working through a church full of hypocrites. None of these fully trained disciples of Jesus questioned or left the teachings of the apostles and early Christians, even as the successors to these apostles betrayed their offices again and again and again. And this is why removing the beam in our own eye is so important. Because God is still working through us even in our sin. God is still teaching through us even as we betray these teachings by our example. It is essential that we remove this beam because God has still given us the responsibility for the splinters as well. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the hardest part about this crisis is that you and I seem to have very little ability to enact change. We are one small parish in a very large world. So I would ask you to notice one last thing about today's gospel. Notice that Jesus does not say, look for the person without a beam because they will be your leader. Instead, he says to his disciples, remove your own beam so that you can help others with their splinters. Jesus is not giving us instructions on who to follow, but on how to lead. Jesus is not telling us to leave the splinters and beams in, but is giving us a prescription for how to take them out so that the entire world can see. Our power is in our holiness. Every saint changes the world. If we become a parish full of saints, just imagine how the Lord will use us.